0: You're listening to Chalk and Coffee, episode 20. Welcome to Chalk and Coffee, the podcast that explores teaching English as a second language. I'm Jacqueline, your host. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us. An essential part of any language curriculum design is vocabulary instruction. But how do we decide what vocabulary to teach? Have a listen to Dr. Paul Nation on Chuck and Coffee today as we dive deep into the monitoring and assessment part of curriculum design so we can make sure that our learners are getting the most benefit from our classes. There are different types of monitoring and assessment from placement assessment to the observation of learning and diagnostic assessment to proficiency assessment. Today, we're taking a close look at the testing of language proficiency testing not from our course content, but from the language itself. So we know what our students know and how to better address their learning needs. Dr. Nation, we're thrilled to have you join us on Chalk and Coffee. Would you take a few moments and introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: I'm Paul Nation. I uh, work in New Zealand, but I've taught in many places around the world. Uh, My specialty is probably the teaching and learning of vocabulary, and I've spent most of my academic life working in that area, although I'm also very interested in the wider methodology of uh, listening, speaking, reading, and writing. I spend most of my time working with teachers and training, or sorry, in-service teachers and training, and... um, uh, and uh most of my books are written particularly with teachers in mind the book the book that i've written that i think is the most generally useful for teachers who don't have a lot of training in the teaching of language or of english anyway is a book called what should every efl teacher know and you can get that Uh, electronically through Amazon if you like it but that's I sat down very late in my career and thought if if I had to advise a teacher of English as a foreign language what would be the important things I would say to them and I wrote it fairly quickly Um, but it seems to me that that's the book which has my basic sort of philosophy of teaching and learning in it but the teachers that uh, probably listening to this podcast are actually what, what I would call, seem to be what I would call ESL teachers, teachers of English as a second language.
0: Yeah.
1: And there's something that I think is really important to work out um, that such that such teachers need to work out. And that is, are the learners in their classes really learners of English as a second language? or are they effectively native speakers of English? And when I say effectively native speakers of English, I mean, from a vocabulary perspective, because quite a lot of research in the United States, which I think is very poorly done because they do not, the research doesn't distinguish people, for example, who were born in the United States or Canada, (laughs) and people who are very recent immigrants to the country
0: we do have more and more of of that situation in our in our bigger cities now so in montreal where we're we're in quebec which is a french province uh we do have a lot of of new canadians who are arriving and their second languages are actually not uh, English as a second language, they're they're learning this as a foreign language for them for the first time.
1: Oh, good. Okay, so so that's the that's the sort of teacher I'll be speaking to today, really. Great. Um, but if somebody was born in Canada or came to Canada at a very young age, and at, at a very young age, I'd put somewhere about, say, before the age of ten or eleven or something like that and they've lived in Canada for, say, two, three, four years and participated in Canadian society, then effectively those people will be native speakers from a vocabulary perspective. And that means that if you wanted to work out roughly how large a vocabulary those learners had, there's a fairly simple but quite reliable formula. And the formula is this.
0: Okay.
1: You take the learner's age, minus two, multiply by 1,000. So if someone was a nine-year-old, and they were actually born in Canada, even though their parents might have come to Canada from another country, uh, then that nine-year-old will have a vocabulary size of nine minus two. That's minus two years, and that's because... You don't really start using the language till you're about two years old if you're a kid. And then times a thousand, because on average, native speakers learn about a thousand words a year, each year, until they're about 15 or 16 or something like that. And then it slows down, not because they're past it or because, you know, any reason like that, but it's simply because they don't meet vocabulary new vocabulary often enough to keep up that rate of about a thousand words a year okay now in a lot of studies i've seen carried out largely in the united states um, the researchers haven't distinguished people who were actually born in the country or who came at a really young age uh, okay. from people who are fairly recent arrivals no, that's a big that's a big mistake because it will be a in, very big difference in vocabulary size.
0: Okay, and in we have a, a peculiar situation here—not peculiar, but a, a different situation. Quebec is a French province yeah. in an English uh, in an English majority-speaking country, yeah. but uh, a lot of our students are um, francophone uh, un- unilingual francophones who are who are mm-hmm. learning English as a second language, but. Um, I just want to clarify: Would would that formula that you're giving, just because of simple exposure, in in a predominantly English country, uh, be accurate for our second language learners?
1: Well, gee, that's a I'd never thought of that question related to Quebec before, but it's it's a very interesting question. But my first reaction would be if they watch tv in english if they uh, go to school where english is used as a language in the school
0: which usually it's not it's usually, usually it's not. french and they okay. have yeah. it they have a little class you know uh, 30 oh, yeah. minutes 30 minutes a but week in primary then, school
1: then i don't know enough to answer that question okay, okay. um but but if if you know if they go to movies, if they play with other kids who speak English, if they sort of generally engage in English-speaking society in some way, I would expect them to be like native speakers of English, even though their first language might not be English. Okay. But, but I I hadn't thought about the Quebec situation, and I don't really know anything about it. Yeah. Um, and so I would. My my guess would be because English is so pervasive in Canada, I would imagine, uh, I would guess they would be like native speakers and you could use that rule of thumb, but it would be really interesting research I'd love to see which would determine that. And teachers can easily find this out for themselves.
0: Yeah, that was my next question. How can we figure out where our students lie in that vocabulary acquisition?
1: Well, on my website, there are vocabulary size tests, and I would advise using the 20,000 vocabulary size test. There's a 14,000 test and a 20,000 test, and I would advise using the 20,000 test. But I would test learners individually if you had any doubt about whether they would take the test seriously or not and give it their best shot. Mm-hmm. Oh, we okay. use those, that. 20,000 tests in New Zealand schools and we found that for the lower lower how would you say this, the learners who got the lower scores on the test that if the test was measured individually that is with somebody sitting next to them while they sat the test keeping them on task keeping them, you know, praising them, saying, good, yeah, do the next one, that's great, you're doing well, you know, keeping them on task, their score increased by something like even up to 20 25%. It can wow. make a really big difference about whether a test is ministered individually or just given out, you know, here's a test, everybody, you sit the test and I'll monitor you all while you sit the test. And for learners who, who are a bit turned off school or... You know have cell phones to play with and do all of these sorts of things then the individual administration can make a big difference
0: well For i've learners, never thought about that kind of difference in results that's a, uh, in, that's in, remarkable in,
1: in new zealand schools i i'm really not much excited about group administered tests where you have a fairly substantial group of learners who might be turned off school for various reasons. Because I think the tests just become nonsense and they don't reflect what they know.
0: Is um, there another way that go we on can... And
1: on about, I, I could go on and on about this, but it's probably probably better to to move on. But <laughs> but i say that if, if you are not sure about your learners, my advice would be get the vocab size test. You just It's free. You can download it. Um, and then sit next to an individual learner while they sit the test, keeping them on task. If they say, I can't read that word, then you read it aloud for them, and then they can make the multiple choices, because the choices are written in very simple English, and then see what their score is. And if their score is anywhere near that formula or rule of thumb of age minus two times a thousand, then you're actually dealing with someone who's effectively a native speaker, okay. from a vocabulary perspective. Okay. And and I I would I would put more value on one or two individual results than the result of a group administered test.
0: Excellent. Okay. Well, that's something to keep in mind then when we're taking a look at where we're starting with all of our students, because we usually walk in with. Uh, you know a ministry approved activity book and we kind of front load here's our vocabulary we're going to be focusing on and uh, and then we go from there but we're perhaps not meeting the students where they're actually at and then teaching them as much as we could be possibly teaching them
1: okay because it's so important I'll I'll give you a couple of examples of this then One of my colleagues, for her master's thesis, uh, developed what's called the academic word list. I don't know if you've heard of that. Her Mm -hmm. name's April Coxhead, and she made this really useful list, which uh, is very of words which are very frequent if you do academic study. Um, Now, uh, one of my teachers uh, in service teachers came to me one day and said. I gave the academic word list test to my students in the, th- in the we call it the third form, but the first year of secondary school. Okay. And they got half of the words correct on the test. So I'm teaching them the words on the academic word list. And I said, well, uh, uh, what, uh, are your students native speakers of English or not? And she said, is it all?" Well, I don't really know, because, you know, in New Zealand, we have a lot of uh, people with, uh, from uh, originally from many different countries and a lot of native New Zealanders with brown skin and so on. And you look at a class, you, if you just looked at the faces, you wouldn't have much idea who's a native speaker or not. Anyway, I said, well, it sounds a bit funny to me because your people beginning secondary school will be 13 years old, roughly. And so they should already know about ten to eleven thousand words, age minus two times a thousand. Um, And the academic word list we know ranges from the third thousand to about the seventh thousand words, a sample from there. So they should know all of these words already. And he said, "Yeah, but they only got half correct." And I said, "Well, can I come along to your school, and you know, sit with them and get them to?" Went through the test again. So he got permission from the head, and I went down, and he brought them one by one. This is the one by one thing. And they sat down, and I I forced them into a little procedure. I said, okay. Uh, because the, the academic wordless test was a test, was was a matching test, not a multiple choice. But, you know, I I forced them to say, okay, let's look at just one word of the three. Now you look through the choices, good. Yeah, which one do you think correct, right? And that one would say, oh, I can't read that word. And I said, oh, well, that word says foreign. Oh, foreign. Oh, yeah, okay, it's this one, you know. And so we went through, and even though their score on the test was 50% when the teacher gave it, when I sat next to them, they were all scoring full marks on the test. Oh, and the teacher was sitting there sort of in the on the um, behind me while I sat with the learner doing the test, and the teacher was going, "Oh my God, you know, because he realized <laughs> that these kids actually already knew all the words, but he gets up and teaches them, and that sort of, yeah, here's this here's the sort of nonsense we get in school yeah we'll just go along you know going along with them things like that and one of them worked uh, in fact I, I said to one of the learners I said look when you sat this test in class you got half correct when you sat it with me you got full 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 marks I'm sort of a bit upset at you because you know you should have done much better at that you actually know all of these And then one of the learners walking back to class with the teacher who was going to get another learner to bring back to me said, I didn't know I was good at that. (laughs) And it it was simply that when they sat the test,
0: their minds
1: were sort of elsewhere. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And they sort of said, oh, another test. I'm no good at tests. You know, low mark. And the same thing happened in the same school when I went back a couple of years later. with another teacher to try out the vocab size test. There's a girl came along from once again about 13 years old, blonde haired, blue eyed, born in New Zealand, you know, only speaks English, and she started doing the test and she got up to the third thousand level and she said, I can't read this. I said, okay, I'll read it for you so i read the choice read the stem and she chose the choices because the choices are all written in the first 2000 words and she scored around about 9 bit over 9000 words on the test now she should have been scoring about 10000 but that's within that sort of it's this age minus 2 times a thousand is really plus or minus a thousand or so mm-hmm. words given yeah, the you range. have to think
0: about exposure and you have to think about uh... familial
1: background and oh yeah yeah that's right i mean if if you come from a a a low socioeconomic family you're going to have less experience yeah varieties of experience like you know where which will help develop vocabulary in that area of experience and so on and and I could see that if she, it, it turned out that when she was very young, she'd had a, an illness called glue ear, which is a sort of partly poverty based illness where you get a ear infection and you don't go to the doctor because you can't really afford it. And so when she was learning to read, she was effectively deaf oh. for several months of that time. And so I gave her a test of phonemic awareness. You know, what, what's this word? D. Oh good and she couldn't do it you see okay and so she could read the first two or three thousand words of english but she couldn't read beyond that but she had a vocabulary size still within that rule of thumb of around about nine thousand or so words because if you're in a, if you live in an english-speaking country and you're young enough to pick up the language as a native speaker would pick it up and that that's generally roughly before the age is about 10 11 12 but it can go on further uh, you can't help but increase your vocabulary size by around about a thousand words a year no matter what the school does what you do that it just happens because you have all this exposure to english through television and playing mm-hmm. with friends and so on things like that now so if it's this, really if... important to figure out if your learners actually are effectively native speakers in that they fit within that rule of thumb, or whether they truly are learning English mm-hmm. uh, with As a with small vocabulary. Yeah,
0: yeah. which, so, which in what, our in regions... in our our regions is probably the case there's you know the yeah the choices of television stations the movie cinema choices those will all just be Mm -hmm. exclusively in french so if we have that clientele and, and we're taking a look at those guys um how do you uh what does that whole idea of teaching them the vocabulary entail so well,
1: well, if they are people who who are learning like native speakers, yeah. So, if, so if they are effectively like native speakers. The teacher's main job would be to make sure that they're dealing with the vocabulary of the subject matter. So, what what we could call the technical vocabulary of the subject matter. Now, the technical vocabulary doesn't have to be overly technical, but it's it's some it's words which are strongly connected. With the subjects that they are studying because if they are people who are effectively vocab native speakers they'll have enough general vocabulary Mm -hmm. from their normal living and experience to 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 do that but it's it's the stuff which is new and subject matter related which is really important
0: so more along the lines of content-based instruction so you're
1: exactly exactly Yeah. Okay. And so the teacher could give some deliberate attention to that vocabulary, but it would also, I think it's equally important that the teacher makes sure that the learners are reading a lot within the subject areas, and I would make sure that some of the reading is done in class to make sure that it really is done and that a quantity of reading is occurring. And then I'd also be making sure that the learners are doing enough writing within the subject matter area as well. So quantity of input and quantity of output is a really important um, opportunity for learning. Mm
0: -hmm. And there's also the question of quality of input as well and, you know, how... If, if they're being introduced to the new words, how many times they get to see that new word and how they yeah. are learning that word?
1: Well, see, if, if, if the rule of thumb is correct, and I'm sure it's correct because I've actually, Abe Cox and I have written a whole book about it. It's called Measuring Native Speaker Vocabulary Size, and we've reviewed the research for the last hundred and something years and And it all supports that that rough rule of thumb. Um, but but my my sort of uh, the 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 methodological principle I operate under is called the four strands. And the four strands goes like this. If you want to learn a language and develop skill in the language, then you need to learn through input, which will account for about a quarter of the learning time. You want to learn through output, which should account for about a quarter of the learning time. You should learn through deliberate study and deliberate teaching, You know, using the dictionary, deliberately being taught words, deliberately learning words, learning word parts, all, all of this sort of thing, learning how to spell and all of that, that should occupy about a quarter of the time. And the remaining quarter should be becoming fluent in reading writing listening and speaking so that you're reading yeah so easy practice Mm -hmm. so that you're reading at a reasonably fast speed it doesn't mean a super speed it just means at the speed that a native speaker would comfortably work at and for reading for example that's around about 250 to 300 words a minute it's not it's not supersonic reading or anything like that it's just simply reading at a reasonable rate
0: so is that sorry that does does that idea of fluency carry over into um not just speech but into uh, how many words they're reading uh well it will affect
1: affect how many words they read because if you can read at 250 words a minute instead of 150 words a minute you're going to read you know almost twice as much and therefore you're going to meet more repetitions and things like that which are really going to help vocabulary learning okay and and it's worth giving a bit of attention to fluency in in all of the four skills of listening speaking reading and writing so i see learning occurring through a balance of these four strands the strands of input output deliberate learning and fluency development and teachers could only teach so much and learners will only put up with so much teaching you know <laughs> and there's no there's no way that the teacher is easily going to make great inroads into the thousand words a year by getting enough repetition and, and, and quality of attention to vocabulary simply through teaching. Teaching helps, but it's only one part of the picture. And so it's re- I think it's really important that learners do plenty of reading. They do plenty of writing and subject matter reading and writing and listening and speaking, you know, discussion and things like that. And if if teachers are saying, well, they're not very good at reading, so I try and get the message through speaking, well, then the, the teacher is ignoring their reading development to some degree, because if they're not very good at reading, then the teacher better do something about reading so that they get better at reading, and that, that source of input becomes stronger, you know. So I would see that... In in your ESL situation, making sure that learners are happy at school, that they are engaging with the subject matter, and that they're getting plenty of opportunity through reading and, and writing, because these are what, what our... Our ancestors in language teaching used to give attention to the acquired skills because you don't naturally acquire reading and writing. You naturally acquire listening and speaking. But, you know, reading and writing requires some sort of minor academic input or anyway, something like that. And it's really important that those skills are developed so that the opportunities for learning vocab then expand because they can learn through those sorts of skills.
0: We talk a lot in Quebec about using the idea of authentic texts. So mm. um, we try for our, our youngest second language learners to use uh, books that perhaps their peers would be reading if they were anglophones. Um, and they are books that have lots of repetition in them, lots of um, uh, perhaps rhyme. So they're they're hearing words in a different way that they might see. The teachers are, are taking out some of the important vocabulary from that <coughs> and instructing yeah. them. But mm-hmm. is is there a different way? Should they be looking perhaps more at leveled reading? Um, when I'm thinking about your idea of where their level of vocabulary might be or are, are authentic texts still the way to go?
1: Um, if If your learners are truly... If your learners are effectively vocabulary native speakers, then authentic texts are fine. If your learners truly are people whose vocabulary size in the language is not that great and and you know way beyond way below the rule of thumb measure, then there's a motivational sort of advantage in authentic text, but there certainly isn't any pedagogical advantage.
0: There's no pedagogical, okay. The
1: reason, the reason there isn't any pedagogical advantage is if you come to a text where 10, 10% or 20% of the running words in the text are unfamiliar to the to you, it might be an authentic text from the point of view of native speakers but you certainly won't get an authentic reading experience by reading that text.
0: Yeah they don't have the access.
1: you'll you'll just suffer frustration and and so on like that. So it's really important if learners truly are learners with with um, more limited vocabularies, it's really important that they get texts which are suited to their level. Now, In English as a foreign language, we have this marvelous resource of graded readers, but I sort of hesitate to mention them too much in your situation, because if your learners are more like native speakers, then graded readers hold them back because they're written within a 500-word vocabulary, a 1,000-word vocabulary, a 2,000-word vocabulary, not much beyond 3,000 words. And if your learners already know the first 3,000 words, it's a bit of a waste of time working on the vocabulary in those readers because it's already well-known.
0: Yeah, I think it's they, super important then the idea of assessment prior oh, I it's prior to, you know, just so you know where your baseline is going to be in, in your class.
1: Yeah, I think it's critical. And that's, but it, I'd also stress again that quality of results that is testing a learner individually is much much more important than testing a hundred people in a situation where you can't be sure if their answer represents their best shot or not because if their answer doesn't represent their best shot but represents just how they deal with tests they're basically not interested in you're going to be misled about their knowledge, because they'll do poorly on the test, you say, this confirms the fact that I think they're not native speakers effectively, and therefore I should be teaching vocabulary, which probably they already know, you know. So you get caught up in this thing that that people who are switched off school don't give it their best shot, but th- the results confirm the teacher's belief that they don't have the knowledge, when in fact, they really do have the knowledge, but they haven't they haven't shown that knowledge. Mm-hmm. So so I, you know, once again, a small a very small number of people, you know, tested individually is much more important than a very large number sitting at group test.
0: Yeah, so much more informative.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get a lot of results with a group test, but they won't mean much.
0: Oh, interesting. I've never I never considered the idea of varied testing like that, just for taking a look at different results and and seeing what the outcomes were based on situations.
1: Well, the problem is that teachers are very busy people. They have a lot of learners to deal with, and they have a lot of things to do and to prepare. And the idea of sitting individually with a person while they set a test, which could take anything you know up to 20 or 30 minutes per person, is obviously not an economical use of their time. Uh, but, you know, if you really want to know what's happening, then you've, you've sort of got to do that. And so a mm-hmm. teacher would have to pick the learner fairly carefully and say, well, this is a learner who I think probably represents the others or some of the others in the classroom reasonably well. I'll see how that person does. And if they get a very surprising result and that they know that they seem to know a lot of words, then I'll say, well, I'll check with another learner wow, I'm getting the same result, you know, so, so then that might change their mind about it. Uh,
0: That's a, that's a fascinating idea. I, uh, I'm going to actually now have to look more into the difference between individual testing and group testing, because I think that, uh, or or different ways that the students can demonstrate their, their understanding. And maybe it isn't just about sitting a test. Maybe it's, maybe there's other ways. Uh,
1: I, I would go to sitting a test because other if you use other ways, other re- more indirect ways through reading, you you get a lot of other factors which compound the problem. Okay. You know, this, this the young girl I mentioned who, who if you gave her a reading test, she'd do terribly on the reading test. And you'd say, oh, she, maybe she's got a small vocabulary. She didn't have a small vocabulary. She knew over 9,000 words. Mm-hmm. But she couldn't read nine thousand words, yeah, but the issue was not vocabulary knowledge. the issue was reading knowledge. And so that that's why I sort of favor that. At the my, we've also developed a, a picture vocabulary size test, um, which is available. If you type picture vocabulary size test, Anthony, Lawrence Anthony, A N T H O N Y, is a guy who programmed it. That test is also freely available online. And okay. the learners the learners it appears you download it on a computer and then the learners hear a sentence and see the sentence and then they have to touch one of four pictures that go with the sentence. Okay. And and that that goes up to twenty thousand words as as well now. Oh wow. Well I
0: I'll definitely link your book uh, and uh, your website and uh, this reference in our podcast notes to make sure that everybody has access to all this good information.
1: The the article I mean the research I mentioned in New Zealand schools is also on my website. It's around about two hundred and the year two hundred and sixteen or something like that. And if you look for I think it's Coxhead Nation, Sim and somebody, then there'll be an experimental report. The, the article will be freely available under publications on my website. So teachers could read up about the effect of individual versus group testing if they wanted to.
0: That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Mr. Nation, uh, Professor Nation. I really appreciate it. I know uh, organizing with the time difference was a little challenging, but uh, I'm glad you got up this morning and chatted with us.
1: Yeah, and being retired, I don't usually get out of bed early. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Lucky you. (laughs) Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
0: Thank you. I really hope you've been enjoying the podcast so far. We've got some exciting episodes coming up, including one on cooperative learning and collaboration in the classroom and all of its wonderful benefits. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. I hope you'll join me again next time. And until then, teach with all your heart and a little coffee.